Welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Leslie Osmond and fear is moving the markets. Are we seeing a bull run or are we seeing a bear market rally? We'll cover these topics in today's episode along with inflation and monetary policy. Joining us today is Jim Paulson, Chief Investment Strategist of the Luthold Group. Welcome, Jim. Hey, Leslie, thanks for having me. Jim, so clearly the markets are in flux. Do you think that we're experiencing a bull run or a bear market rally or perhaps none of the above? You know, I I, I look at this uh, episode we're going through, Leslie, very much as a, a kind of a normal traditional correction. Uh, it could technically be a bear market. You know, it was intraday already, and I'm not saying it couldn't go lower, but it, the character to me is more like a typical correction. Generally, in the second year of a bull market, we get a correction. Um, this has happened. It happened in 83, 84. It happened in uh, 93, 94. It happened in 2004. It happened in 2010, 11. All of that in the second year of a bull. And they lasted almost a year or a little more. And I'd say this one is very similar to that. I would argue, Leslie, that the correction really started really since uh, last spring, March or April of last spring. A lot of the market, you know, small caps, uh, dip value, a lot of the piece of the market cyclicals have not done well since over that period. And almost every part of the market has been dipped at various times. And now we've had an official correction so far this year. Um, but I, I really look at this too, that um, correction has done what it what it generally does. And and, and you look at what, what has happened here now, uh, overall, we've we took the concentrated leadership out of this market uh, by taking the fangs down. Um, we we paused the rate route, which is really causing a lot of problems for the equity market. Uh, we also s significantly revalued the stock market. Um, the S and P 500 on a trailing or forward basis is now about average on a PE basis, uh, going back to 1990. And finally, we did what bear mark what corrections do they they scare the heck out of all of us and we've got sentiment measures that are very negative and i i just take that together to me that looks a lot like the closer to the end of a correction than the start of one well and with economic growth clearly slowing has the stock market reached the bottom in your opinion well typically what <clears throat> when we have corrections it's this the, the fears we have today leslie are the same ones we had in those previous corrections Typically, the economy picks up. We get worried about overheat and rising inflation and Fed starts to tighten. And those are the same fears we have today. And normally we have a lot of recession fears in those corrections as well. <clears throat> and what what gets the next leg of the bowl is we have a, a rate hiccup, which we've had, and it does slow economic momentum, takes the steam out of the overheat case. It slows the rate route, including tightening by the Federal Reserve and even slower growth and slower earnings growth lead again to higher market action um, in part because the market's a lot cheaper when it starts. Uh, and I think that we've done a lot of that same sort of character here. And I look for slower growth mm -hmm. um, and peak inflation. And I think a return of some confidence that there's another leg coming in this bull. And I've heard you say that we're at peak inflation and peak fear. What do you mean by that? And what do you think it will take to correct or fix the inflation problem? Or will it fix itself? Well, the, I think that the one of the real concerning things about the inflation situation is that people feel it's it's all due to the Fed and that 
because the Fed just started to tighten, they're way, way behind the curve. I would concur with that, that they're way, way behind the curve. I just don't think they're that relevant because what I see is significant policy tightening that started to take place a year ago, March, across all policies. And it takes about a year before economic policies affect economic activity and inflation. And we are just now at that one one year window. Just to real quick to run through these, real money, real M2 money supply growth was 25% a year ago, March 2021. It is now zero um, and, and slightly negative, actually. Fiscal deficit to GDP ratio a year ago, March, was 18.5% stimulative spending. And now it's under 5%. That is really significant monetary and fiscal tightening. I don't care what the Fed has done or hasn't done. We've had significant monetary fiscal tightening. The 10s to 2s yield curve a year ago, March, was 160 basis points steep, and it's now like 25 basis points, a significant flattening. And then finally, the U.S. dollar is up 15% uh, over the last 12 months or thereabout. If somebody told you that the Federal Reserve took money supply from 25 to zero, the federal government took fiscal stimulus from 18 and a half to under five. They created a massive flattening of the curve and a big increase in the dollar. You'd say inflation is going to roll over. And that's what I think right now. And we're, the problem is, is people are looking at the Fed and I think most of the policy tightening has already been done. The Fed's got this one little lonely interest rate we call the funds rate, which is way out of bounds with all other rates. The one year is already at 2%, the two years at 270, the, the, the 10 years at, uh, at 290, the mortgage rates at five and a half. Those rates have already tightened. And so I think the Fed's going to lift the funds rate, but who cares? The, the, the tightening's already been done. And I think that leads with a one year lag to lower inflation. And you touched on some great stats as well as stimulus. In your notes, you mentioned that households have roughly $1.5 in excess savings not yet spent. And that figure is significantly down roughly 4.4% from its post-COVID highs of 12.4%. With consumer confidence, low rising costs are eating away at savings, and consumers are clearly resorting to credit to fund their lifestyle. What are your thoughts on a potential credit bubble? Um, I personally don't think we're anywhere as close to that. I, I, I've been in this business uh, since the early 80s, almost 40 years, and uh, I've never seen household balance sheets this strong as they are right now, uh, and corporate balance sheets as well, and banking balance sheets as clean as they are. If I look at household debt to income ratio, that's the lowest it's been since the early 1990s. Are they taking on some credit card debt? Yeah. Do they do that in every recovery? Yes. Is it to an excessive level? I don't think so at all. It, it hasn't even been going on that long, and it really took a big hit in the pandemic. So it's just sort of caught back up to trend line again. Uh, but the important point is, is think about how much more uh, household income, how much higher it is today than it was pre-pandemic uh, relative to uh, where consumer credit is overall. You look at debt service ratios, Leslie, they're still close to record lows with the low rate structure and the fact that we've been pairing debt now since the 08 crisis in the household sector. Their net worths have never been this high in, in the history. Um, everything they've owned has gone up from, from stocks to bonds to commodities to houses to rare art. 
Um, and, and they're sitting on that. And as you said, uh, they've saved a trillion and a half dollars in excess of what they normally would save since the pandemic began. That's equivalent to 10% of personal consumption. So I think, I think they're liquid, they're, they're well-financed. I don't see an issue there. The, and the corporate sector's not there. And really, the, in times past, when we got into financial crisis, it was because the banking industry became compromised but because we legislated away the ability for banks to lend money ever since 08, they're squeaky clean and have a lot of debt capacity. I think we've got a long ways to go before we get a situation where the household sector, for example, is out over its skis in a meaningful, broad-based way. What do you say to people that talk about the wage spread and that the people that are perhaps at the lower tier aren't able to afford it? Um, the housing, as well as consumer spending, we're seeing a lot of the, the concerns in terms of affordability for groceries and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I think inflation has is, is been difficult and, and inflation always hurts the lower income groups more than the upper income groups. That's certainly going on uh, today. But, you know, the, the proportion of total spending in the upper income groups that control a bigger portion of total spending are in very, very good shape. Uh, not in much more insulated to inflation in general. And I would say this about the wage gap. If, if, if the Atlanta Fed breaks down wages from the lowest compensated to the highest compensated by quartiles, for example, and they also do it from least educated to most, from most experienced to least, uh, from youngest to oldest, across the board, what we're seeing is the greatest wage gains have occurred among the youngest, least skilled, least educated, and lowest compensated areas of the economy in this cycle. The upper tiers have actually seen the smallest wage inflation. They were almost more normal in the top two tiers from where they were in earlier years. It's the lowest comp areas that have seen the biggest boost. So to some extent, um, while the average wage inflation rate is 5.5% or thereabouts, and that's still below the inflation rate, you're seeing a lot of these lower tier income groups seeing wage gains far higher than that, which means their real purchasing power might be still rising because the biggest wage gains have occurred in the lowest comp areas. You know, we had minimum wages that have been rise a lot. But if you think about it, the biggest shortage of workers, Leslie, has been in the social interactive industries, right. which uh, basically uh, restaurants and leisure hospitalities where uh, you have lowest comp workers working and they're experiencing the best gains in the face of higher inflation. So do you believe that we're at a low risk of recession in the near future? I do. I know that the fear of it is very, very pronounced uh, and widespread. And I understand that because if you go back historically all the way back to the to 1920s and look at major inflation peaks that we've had in this country, we typically have recessions, not 100% of the time, but let's say we do 75% of the time uh, when we have these peaks. I think this is one's different uh, for many, many reasons. But the biggest one to me is just the quality of financial integrity of the private sector and the banking industry. Their balance sheets are strong. The, the excess savings, the excess cash flow in, in corporate sector, 13.5% of GDP uh, and net cash flow out of the corporate sector. That's just slightly below all-time record highs. Consumers hold $18 trillion in, in deposit assets. 
yielding essentially zero, which is high levels of liquidity. And I mentioned the banking sector being strong. We still have tremendous job creation going on. I think in the first four months of the year, job, job growth's up about a 4% annualized pace. We're having a surge in the labor supply. Labor force has grown at 3% annualized pace so far this year uh, overall. And to me, the low confidence that we see is, is to me, maybe a positive. If confidence is already this low, you can't make it go a lot lower. Right. We have consumer confidence about as low as it's been in post-war history. So what could happen if confidence goes up, that could charge up these animal spirits and actually add to growth rather than subtract. So I, you know, recessions could always happen. I, I just don't know if I see it in the data right now. Great insights, Jim. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back shortly. When the right moment comes, you better not miss. Seeking Alpha's stock rating alerts. Go to your portfolio, click on the bell icon on the right, adjust alert settings, done. Never miss the right moment again. Seeking Alpha, be a better investor. We're back with Jim Paulson, Chief Investment Strategist of the Luthold Group. Fuel prices and energy is clearly through the roof, Jim. People still want on the in and on the action, though. Do you believe commodities have peaked and are at the end of their runway? Uh, I do, man. They've been great investments for those of you that have owned them. It, it's been exactly the right call, um, you know, uh, here, and and they've done fantastically. But I, I would be, I would be lightening up on that. I would be patting myself on the back and taking profits out of your energy stocks and your material stocks, and certainly direct ownership of commodities here. Um, you know, what we're doing here in a combination, one thing is we've raised the U.S. dollar so much, and that is a huge depressant force towards commodities in general. When you increase the value of the dollar, it really uh, threatens our trade uh, competition, uh, putting downward pressure on commodity prices. But in addition to that, the, the globe over is slowing the pace of economic growth. And if you slow economic growth with a, with a strong dollar and you're draining liquidity out of the system, I think all those are negative forces for commodities. And then the last thing is just a lot of these investments that are tied to that uh, are very popular and they're bid up in price. They're probably overvalued now, overowned, and there could be quite a, an upsetting exodus you know, if commodity prices are rolling over. I'd say too, there's evidence of commodity prices flattening out. Overall commodity price index has been flat now for almost three months. The CRB index has actually rolled over here in the last month or so. Industrial prices, the, uh, just the industrial components of, of the commodity spectrum went up and now have come back down and they did a complete 360. They're flat since the year end. So I'm seeing evidence of that rolling over. I would, I would, I would lighten up on those areas. Are there any particular sectors that you would completely steer clear of? I mean, we're talking about oil and gas that has totally surged um, and continues to, to be up there. Um, are you thinking energy, oil and gas, utilities? Which sectors do you think we should steer clear of? Well, I, I certainly, um, I, I'd be a seller out of uh, energy all the way right now. Uh, there'd be selective base material stocks you may want to hold. The other area I think you ought to give a lot of attention to is defense. Defense has been very popular for reason it's outperformed, but the utilities, the staples, pharma, those sectors, I would be net sellers of those. I'd also look at selling uh, S&P low vol investments. Um, I'd also look at a very popular one is the dividend aristocrats. 
Um, they've been bid up, and I, I think all of those underperform fairly significantly if confidence does revive, if inflation is coming down, and we have a second leg to this bull, those areas I think will be very disappointed. And speaking of bull, you're still quite the bull as well as a contrarian investor from what I've gathered, despite market volatility. Tell us about your favorite sectors in investments. Well, the, the two I guess I'd mention, I, I think quietly, uh, without much fanfare, the international stock market's been outperforming. There's been uh, most aspects of it. Uh, the UK is, for example, has beat the SPY by 15% here year to date. The, uh, Japan has been a, a market performer, slight outperformer. Uh, Aussie and Canada have, have beat the U.S. market by 15% year to date, for example. But even the emerging markets, uh, and, uh, ex-China, have, have outperformed by almost 4% year to date. Frontier markets have been a market performer. S&P value, international value stocks have been a significant outperformer. And even, even international small caps have beat the S SPY this year. So I like the international play. I think the dollar has been bid up due to a safe haven premium with concerns about the war and recession and inflation. And if those fears moderate, dollar is going to come down, promoting international returns. All of these markets are extremely cheap on a relative basis from where they've been over 10 years ago or over the last 10 years. All of them are under-owned. And I think um, my favorite in that area would be emerging markets ex-China. In the domestic market, my favorite sector is the consumer discretionary sector. It has been, to me, <laughs> the one sector that's been hit the hardest by inflation. Right. And a couple of things happen. It, it, it really hurts discretionary companies whose margins contract, but it's also killed confidence among consumers and reducing mm -hmm. their spending thriftiness. If inflation rolls over, I think they're going to be big outperformers in the coming year. Any particular industries in the consumer discretionary sector? Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a favorite there. I, I think that uh, I... I'm taking a, a more of a gross bet on the overall sector. What I would say, Leslie, is that if, if you're looking uh, the way to do it, I would stay away from S&P market cap weighted consumer discretionary bet. There's just too much on a, on a couple names in there. I would use ETFs and look at some of the equal weighted con consumer discretionary bets. Uh, that'd be a better way to put it. It also gives you a lower cap tilt when I think small caps are going to be large caps. And you know, uh, and you can find those ETFs out there. But I, I rather than finding that one best consumer discretion sector, I just make sure I'm in that sector because I think the consumer uh, confidence is likely to head higher, and it's going to run right through those stocks. Jim, fantastic insights. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Jim Paulson, Chief Investment Strategist of the Luthold Group. Take care. Thanks so much, Leslie. Now joining us is Seeking Alpha's Kim Khan for next week's Catalyst Watch. Hey, Leslie. Yeah, we're going to talk about first what we're not going to have next week, which is going to be Fed speakers since they'll be in their quiet period. Um, that'll be a relief for a lot of people um, for don't like the market jumps up and down from every speaker every day um, on the economic calendar. It's kind of back end loaded. The big number is the CPI for May, which comes out on Friday um, headline looking at 8% core looking at 6% so still very high numbers right ahead of that Fed decision. Um, Techland, there's an app, app, Apple Developers Conference, all of some interesting headlines coming out of there. And then there is the Amazon 24-1 stock split going into effect, 
which as everybody who follows the market knows, shouldn't mean anything at all to the stock since nothing really changes, but always does mean something to the stock no matter what. If there's a psychological effect of it just being cheaper, I'm kind of interested to see how um, the uh, meme stock traders look into Amazon, look at the data from our friends at Quiver Quantitative. Um, Amazon has been a top 10 name mentioned on Wall Street bets lately. Um, there's going to be something interesting about Amazon suddenly having the uh, same same stock price as GameStop, which is just about after the split. And maybe it's this lower strike price and options and maybe you get some you know, buying interest there. Kim, the real question everybody has for you is, did you watch Top Gun this weekend? I did. It was awesome. And <laughs> I, I saw it in the theater when I was a kid. I remember those watching it in the theater and probably seen the original now for a hundred times since then. And I was really looking forward to it. Does not disappoint. I hear it's great. I look forward to watching it this weekend. That wraps it up for this week. Stay safe out there and have a great weekend.